Okay. Good morning, everybody. So we are on a journey, I believe, as a church. Every, day, every week I get up and I feel like I'm saying the same thing, that um, normally I like to speak out of things that, you know, I've walked a journey over a long period of time, and I'm just sharing, I'm cutting and bleeding. I'm, I'm sharing straight out of what God's doing, very vulnerably sharing with you with what God's doing in me, because I do believe it's what God's doing in our church, and it's wonderful. And so a lot of that has to do with our recent visit from Anton and Ange Cater from uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, the, the couple that are now leading the church that we were leading in Johannesburg before planting this church, and it was such a wonderful time, wouldn't you agree, many of you? Um, that's wonderful. I appreciate the, yeah, the, the firm agreement there. <laughs> was, was anyone there? <laughs> that's good. It was, it was wonderful. So let me thank you. Thank you, Tamora. So let me just uh, say that um, through that time, uh, and, and just something that God did began to do in me has to do with joy, which is what we're going to be speaking on, and which Sylvia so perfectly brought up that, uh, that he adds no sorrow with it, and, and the, the, the joy of the Lord actually is our strength. And so we're going to be speaking about that a bit, but um, let me just say vulnerably that what I have been doing unknowingly over the past season in working in real estate and also planting a church and doing all of these things that I feel like I need to do every day and you've got to, my friend Lori over there can maybe identify as a, as a fellow Keller Williams realtor, uh, that you've got to be lead generating and you've got to be marketing yourself and you've got to be doing this and, and all of these things that I've felt like I need to do has led to a, a, a feeling of being overwhelmed. The best way that I would know how to describe it is even though I was still walking with Jesus, loving him, wanting to serve him with my life, it was like gray. My life was gray. Does that make sense? It was, it was, it was duty from, from sunup to sundown, sundown. Pressure. And what I unknowingly had come into is a place where actually the leading of the Holy Spirit was, was boxed in because I already had so much of the pressures of what I had to do put on my day. And something shifted over the past couple of weeks where I actually just came to a place of realizing I don't have to do anything with my day but what the Lord is actually leading me into with his grace. And I'm not saying, let me, let me, there are things, if you have a job, I'm, I'm an agent, if I've got a commitment as a, to a client to do their services, I, you know, I can't do something that's going to cause their transaction to fall through because I didn't feel led of the Lord that day. Please, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying things that we put on ourselves that actually rob us from being able to just be simply led of the Lord. And what, what began to happen is it, over the past couple of weeks, it's like a veil has been, has been lifted, which is funny because I've preached that for like 20 years now, a veil being lifted from my eyes, and I feel like the day has become technicolor. It's like there are endless possibilities with our day every day because I only have to do what my father is telling. I only have to do what I see my father doing. <laughs> Endless possibilities. In fact, a few seconds ago, I thought, 
we can't pray for this building. I mean, the University of Michigan just bought it for almost $5 million. We can't, wait a minute. Why not? <laughs> Is God bigger than the University of Michigan? Why not? Why not? And what I have found, my friends, is such a simple, simple shift of joy. And I'm not saying I didn't have joy before two weeks ago or anything like that. I'm not, but there is something of a release of joy. The joy is already there in your life. If you have received Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you with joy. The joy was already inside of me. It was my stuff that I put on myself that blocked the joy. And that's what I want to speak into is something of releasing joy because my friends, us doing what we are called to do in this city, joy is fundamental to that. The Lord has not called us to strive and to just do and to grit and to get the work done. He actually wants us to live abundance of life. And somehow it's that quality of life that actually is the very thing that causes us to have influence in the city. So having said that, what is joy? Let's look at four things over the next few minutes of joy. Make sure we understand what is joy and I'm trusting by the grace of God that we all, as a church community, tap into it and begin to live it. I want to stop right there and just say this. I believe this morning, just, just praying over this morning, I believe this man Rodney over here, it, this, uh, how many of you have seen him wobbling around a bit? Um, roll, rolling around, he's been hobbling, et cetera, et cetera. I actually believe that this situation that we're watching physically in his body is a prophetic picture of us as a church. And that actually we have chosen to begin to go, he chose to have a, a, sur a surgery on his ankle. And we, I believe as a church, chose to tap into the deeper things of the spirit. And it's in the process of him choosing to have his surgery on his ankle that actually other things began to become exposed, things of his, inside of his body, if you don't mind me saying, that actually needed to be put into its right place. And I believe that as we've chosen to do this, we found ourselves, the Lord's begun to do some surgery, but we've realized that there are other issues. There's a joy thing. There's a, there's a, a, um, uh, uh, for me, there's been this stuff that I just described putting on myself that was a whole other thing that needs to happen. Uh, and, and Rodney, a few, few weeks ago, was in hospital, and uh, he was not lucid. <laughs> he was saying crazy things. Uh, but, but there's a process that's happening where he's come back to his right mind. He's come back to his apartment. And more recently, he's begun to actually be able to walk with a moon boot. And I believe the Lord is saying that we're beginning to learn how to walk in this new thing that we maybe haven't learned to walk. And when you have to relearn how to walk, it's actually awkward. And Rodney told me last night that I'm having to relearn. It's the hardest part. It's relearning how to walk. And, we're, we're, and I want to say, let's be free. Let's be free from having to walk through this life in bondage. Be free to walk in joy. So let's look at what is joy. Firstly, joy is it's a celebration that's rooted in faith, not circumstances or feelings. <laughs> Please hear this. Joy is celebration, 
See, we, we can talk about this in church at celebration, not rooted in, but, but it's, it's on Wednesday morning when we feel so burdened, when we have real stuff that we're dealing with. It's, it's celebration in the midst of that because, not because we're just doing the good Christian thing and I can't be depressed, I need to be celebrating. It's because we are seeing something beyond what we see naturally. It's not just like we just choose to celebrate and just kind of trying to, you know, do this Christian thing. It's real. There is substance behind our celebration in, this, in spite of the circumstances that we see. In fact, the, the substance is more real than the circumstances that we see if we would choose to put our eye on that and not our circumstances and our feelings. And so let me remind us as a church community a few months ago that uh, Vanessa and Jody Ramiro, part of the NCMI team from East LA, came up here and they shared with us. And during that time, Vanessa had a prophetic picture for an, an, in a dream. And she saw this funeral thing going down. And there were all these people dressed in black. And they were surrounding the corpse of this dead body. And then there was this one lady who was dressed in white and she believed represented the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And this woman, instead of doing what she should have done, joining everybody else in mourning and weeping and, oh, this is terrible, she started to praise and to celebrate. And it was awkward and it was weird. But then as she began to praise and celebrate, in her dream, the, the hand of the corpse began to, began to tremor. And then before long, she kept on celebrating and the, and, the, and the corpse actually came back to life and then everybody began to celebrate. And the picture is this, is that in the midst of the brokenness of this city, because some of what I've come up against in my own life to bring me down is something of a spiritual nature of things that rule over the city. We, we actually have the privilege of encountering these things so that in our breakthrough, we can have authority to release breakthrough over, over other people. And, and, and see that picture, that in the midst of whatever you're facing, if you can understand, God is bigger than what is total death. Like hopeless circumstances, God is bigger. And if we can learn to put our, our eyes on Jesus and begin to celebrate as awkward as it may mean, look, and just begin to actually celebrate. And I mean real celebration. I mean, I know the Lions don't score many touchdowns, but if they did, we would be like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? For, for in response to something that we've seen, I'm talking about that. That celebrating in the midst of victory, celebration, joy, it's celebration that's rooted in faith, not circumstances or feelings. And I want to remind us again as a church, as we learn to live in that, we see breakthrough that actually spills over to the rest of the city and to the nations. Never mind just Detroit. Detroit's going to export joy into the nations through the bride of Christ. Number two, how is it that we're able to celebrate rooted in faith and not circumstance? I, I don't want to suggest. I want to say that comes from a confident expectation of God's goodness. Confident expectation of God's goodness. And again, we can say these things and we can talk this language and we know we ought to, but I've found in so many of our lives, we encounter things that uh, just circumstances of life, things that are coming up on the radar in our calendar and we live in fear. Let me ask you something. If you're dreading something, if you're feeling down, if you're, if you're upset and worried about something, 
Is that not an indication that at some place we've no longer trusted in and expected God is actually good in this thing? I may not see it. I may not know how he's going to do it. I, know, I may not know how he's going to turn it around. I may not. But God is good. And God is not limited by anything that I'm going through. So how do we have this confident expectation of God's goodness? I would say let's look at the covenant that he's made with us. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Andrew, if you can pop that up on the, the board. Genesis chapter 12. Just want to remind us, this whole thing of God's covenant with his people. God cut covenant. He made covenant with Abraham. Remember Abram, the father of our faith, the beginning of the people of God? And they were a type and a shadow. I mean, the, 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 what God did with Israel is, is a picture of actually the new nation that God has called the church in the earth. And so what God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 in calling Abraham out of the world and into the, call, the promised land that God had called his people to is a picture of how God's heart is, what God's plans are for his people. You following so Genesis chapter 12, here is where it happens, very simply in these three verses. He says to Abraham, or at that time Abram, get out from your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Can you say that? That I will show you. So the idea of all the blessings that God is about to say that he wants to confer upon Abram and to his offspring, this new nation of people, it's in the context of going where God is going to lead you. In other words, the whole thing of joy, the whole thing of God's blessing and goodness, the, the place of expecting God's goodness is dwelling in, behind the leadership of Jesus. It's faith and obedience. It's in that context. And we have to know in order to be able to really follow Jesus, we have to know how he is towards us, that he's actually good. That making sense? And so it says to the land that I will show you, Verse 2, I will, and here's what he says. If you're going to follow me, Abram, and if any of us are to follow, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if those words still echo through down to today over us as his people, and they do, then that is his destiny and his appointed assignment for you and me is to walk in the blessing of God. So when we're worried about this meeting that's going to happen on, picking on somebody in the church here, a meeting that's going to happen coming up, or if I'm worried about this or that, we need to remember God is with me to bless me. God is with me so that through blessing me, I become a blessing of God to others. How many of you believe that? Put your hands up. I'm going to ask you to repeat something with me, if you will, because I believe that confessing things with our mouth is actually powerful. Will you, will you confess this with me? In Jesus, I am blessed. In Jesus, I am blessed. God has a plan to bless me. What God is leading me into is good. What God is leading me into is good for others. Awesome. 
So that's the covenant that God made with Israel. And let me just remind us that part of the covenant that he made with us through Jesus, part of, if not maybe the thing, is that he sent Jesus to die on a cross so that we have a physical picture, an actual historical testimony through the person of Jesus of how God is actually towards us. That in the cross we see God who is utterly perfect, taking on himself the punishment that was deserved by every sinning person, being any human. And he bore that upon himself without anyone repenting or asking him to do it or recognizing their problem. God demonstrated his love towards us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans says. A testimony, if nothing else, to put on the, in the foundations of our faith and the way we can maneuver through our life with him, knowing that in, despite any of our failings, God is totally good towards us. But accessing that goodness is actually a thing of faith. And it gets down to what are we looking at? The circumstances and the feelings or the God and the gospel behind it? Let's go the third thing. What is joy? Joy is celebration that's rooted in faith. It's, we are able to do that because joy is confident expectation of God's goodness. Thirdly, I want to say it's, it's results from the exchange that happens at the cross. I know somebody in ministry uh, very recently who is telling me of a situation where, in a, similar to me, unknowingly, they had become completely overwhelmed with the burdens of ministry. They're doing the ministry, faithful with it, overcome with it, feeling like a failure, feeling like Nothing is going to break through, feeling like they, the, the weight of pleasing all the people and making sure that Jesus is happy, but these people are happy, and making sure that all of this stuff, just carrying this burden, and eventually coming to a place of realizing they've never taken this burden to the cross. And at the cross, there is an exchange. There's an exchange of our life for his. And the joy that we're talking about actually happens at that place where we're, re- we're taking those things that actually create the lack of joy in the burden and we're exchanging it for his goodness. If you look with me to Isaiah uh, 61, perhaps a well-known verse in this particular church, as well as uh, the, the church back in Johannesburg, I had an 18-month-long series on Isaiah 61. They heard it a few times. I think they kicked me out. They said, go to Detroit. (laughs) This is fundamental to our calling as a church. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4, but we're going to look at verse 3 here. Listen to this exchange. We know that the context is that the gospel goes to what the the scripture describes as, as poor, and that's not just the economically disenfranchised. That's everybody who has a need. And, and that the working of the gospel is to bind up hearts that are broken. It's to liberate people from captivity. And in this incredible third verse, it says to console or to appoint, to set, to strengthen, to put them in their place, to console those who mourn in Zion. That's, a, that's an exchange, is it not? Setting in place as opposed to mourning. Now listen to this. To give, say give. Give them beauty for ashes. 
the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There are four exchanges that we see there. Mourning being turned into consolation or setting in, in place. Ashes becoming beauty. We remember as Anton was ministering, Minda was looking at him. I said this the last week, I think. Was looking at him in the, in the venue where we were, and behind him were windows, and, and there was the lovely kind of spring skyline back behind with the sunset going down in the pink hue, but, but light blue, very blue-blue sky. And she looked back there, and she, she felt like the Lord said to her that behind Anton, in other words, if you will receive what I'm trying to speak into this church through this man, behind him, in other words, is blue and pink loveliness. It's, it's beauty. And ever since then, we've been in a, in a place of choosing our life is going to be beautiful. We were breaking the rules of church planting. Church planting is supposed to be rigorous and it's supposed to kill you. And if I'm honest with you, I'm not sure how close to death's door I've gotten, actually. And the freedom to just be able to choose my life is going to be beautiful. I'm going to enjoy this thing. I'm going to enjoy him. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to enjoy time with my family. I'm going to enjoy the people that are around me. I'm going to enjoy the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to enjoy the presence of the Lord as I do what I do. In the moment that I'm sensing his presence lifting, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm going back there. This thing is going to be beautiful. Not because I choose, but I agree with heaven. He's chosen for it to be beautiful. So good. An exchange. And what I'm saying, my friends, is that sometimes this exchange happens when we expect something other than what we're experiencing. We have the audacity to expect what God wants, even when we're not experiencing it. My friend Joseph, I know you're here for the first time, but let me tell you something. You, I don't care where you've been. I do care where you've been. I'm not saying I don't care. God cares, I care. It doesn't matter where you've been. There is goodness in front of you in him. Can you believe that? (laughs) It's true. It's true. Awesome. Fourthly, and lastly, joy enables us to become a what-if people. I was literally sitting in that chair, and I said it a few minutes ago, listening to Sylvia say, can I pray that God would give you a building? My my gut reaction was like, like done deal. Like this is already sold to U of M, and and then I and then I was I'm sitting there, and I'm remembering this point that that joy enables us to become a what if people, a people who live in the realm of with God, all things are possible. And it doesn't mean that everything that we ask God for we necessarily get. The Scripture says that anything that we ask according to His will, we have confidence that we receive. But I think God is pleased if we have the audacity to ask for amazing things because God actually loves to lead us into amazing, impossible, beautiful 
wonderful big things. Would you like to believe that with me? How many of you would like to to speak that over all of the limiting circumstances and beliefs in your life? Let's do that. Let's be an army against everything that says, I can't, I can't, I can't, and let's start saying, God can, God can, God can. Ange Cater said this. Went back and listened to that message during the course of the week, and she says, my charge to Border City Church is this. What if you become a what-if people? How amazing. If you just determine to ask, what if God adds this to us? What if God moves us into this? What if God swings that door open? What if I say, I throw off doubt, I throw off inhibition, I throw off worry, I throw off the concern of failing? What if you become a what if people? And I have found over the past couple weeks that in living in joy and releasing those burdens and not submitting myself even to things that are of, the, of noble purposes, there are actually yokes that Jesus didn't put on me and living in this place of I am, I'm free to live before you and to be led by you and live with you and in you, I'm free. And I've found that in that place that there's something in my heart that found in that place where I more easily become a what-if person. The endless possibilities are that much nearer to me. Can I be vulnerable again with you? As we're on a, on a, on a roll here. Yesterday, uh, I, was, I was just kind of burdened. And here's the reality that I woke up to uh, yesterday morning. I had the whole, I, I've, I've been so careful to live in, um, in this place of freedom that I'm describing. And then yesterday, I, it's like I found myself with, uh, with my whole day had already, I mean, from I woke up at six and my whole day to nine was like jam-packed with stuff. And I just went to bed feeling the burden of all the stuff that has to get done and the impossibilities of it and just the stuff of life. And, and you know what happened? As this happened on Friday night and, and what I began to see is that thing of, of living expectation and joy began to, began to become like this. And with it, my faith, my sense of expectation began to do this to where I was basically just feeling, well, this is, this is just the way it's got to be, and it's just going to be a tough day, and it's going to be difficult. And, and, it was, and what it was was where I had been living, where I had kind of set up camp, if you will, wanting to come back into my heart because I had chosen very recently I'm living in another place. Now, if you've ever experienced God delivering you from something, when you come into a new place of freedom, you begin to see the bondage when it tries to creep back in much more easily. And so as, as this was happening, I was praying. Have you guys ever like prayed and it's like your prayers are bouncing around the walls and you just feel like you're not getting any kind of breakthrough? Or is that just me? And I was just kind of doing that yesterday. And I was just praying in the, in the spirit. If you're not familiar with that, stick around for a while. Stick six, you'll, you'll understand what we mean. Praying in other tongues, as Paul says. And I was praying and building myself up. And as I did this, I was pacing as I do. <laughs> and, uh, and praying in, in tongues. And, and I just felt in my spirit, stop. And, I, and, I, and so I did, just wait. And, and as I oftentimes do, I just held my hands out like this. Just wait. And just praying in the spirit. And as I did... It was in my spirit. I, was, I, I knew there were lies that were being spoken to me, and I needed to renounce these lies. 
And so in my spirit, I just began to make this decision. I'm going to identify lies. And, I be, and it became clear. One lie. And then and I, I said, I renounce you. In Jesus' name, I disagree with the lie of dot, dot, dot. And then the next line, dot, dot, dot. And I began to see these lies connecting in. And I realized I'm dealing with a demon or the demonic. I'm dis- in my spirit, I'm discerning. And, if you, and the scripture says... One of the gifts of the Spirit is the discerning of spirits. I began to discern something that was of a spirit. And, and I'm saying this just so that we, we all know how this stuff works because we are spirits. You, you live in a body, you've got a soul, but you are a spirit. We are spirits. And the spirit realm might be something, especially in our Western world, that we're used to, but it's real. As I began to discern, I knew what this demonic thing was, Something happened where I like had, I had a strength in Jesus' name. I, I, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I yelled in a whisper. But nonetheless, it was, it, was, it was not born of my flesh. It was born up out of my spirit. The spirit of God in me rebuking something that was of a demonic sense. As I began to identify exactly what this thing was, and rebuke it. I rebuke it. I forbid you access to my heart, to my mind, to my family, to this church. And Jesus, as I began to do that, literally, it was as though a cloud had like peeled away and rays of sun just came right in. Immediately, I just began to feel joy. I I feel a little uncomfortable saying this, but I actually was going to a, a dinner with many people last night, and I kind of felt like, yeah, I, I really want to see Ann Pretorius, and I want to see these people, but I, I felt like I'm, I'm so tired. I don't, I've got so much to do. All of a sudden, like, joy came, and I, and I felt jovial. I felt burden-lifted, jo- having fun. Came back at 9 o'clock at night, whereas I would have been like, guys, i got to go to bed. I'm this, I'm, my life stinks. i got to go preach on joy tomorrow. I am telling you, it, it, something happened there of, of an exchange, uh, spiritual exchange. What am, what am I saying? <laughs> I'm saying this. Sometimes it's, well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me shift, actually. This thing of joy that we're talking about is... It is a real spiritual thing that is in you like a river flowing from God's throne. It's already inside of you. And we're not saying that if you're really in joy that you're going to be like hysterically laughing and you have to like prove to everybody that you're joy of the Lord and, but because you're laughing. And you don't even have to be smiling necessarily. You know what I'm saying? I can be in the presence of the Lord and loving that place of presence and I'm not necessarily smiling, but I'm loving it. Let's not be flaky, please, like trying to manufacture joy. Be real, but it is real. And lastly, I just want to say this. Part of this whole point of it enabled us to become a what-if people. The reality is, and and Sylvia was even saying this morning uh, as she was praying, kind of alluding to the idea that perhaps we're a small group. And in God's eyes, that means nothing in terms of the potential that is, that is in here because he's not looking for human strength. He's looking for human faith. 
from a healthy heart that sees Jesus and receives who he really is and lives with him as according to who he really is and what he's actually saying. If we can do that, we can change the world. Thank you. Let's do it. Exactly. Love it. And I just want to remind us, Judges chapter 6, if we can put that up on the wall, is the reality that God loves to call us in the midst of when natural circumstances and when things look like naturally look their, their worst. He loves to say to take a building that's worth $5 million when natural circumstances say you can't even buy a building, period. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. He loves that, that it would be of God, a God and not man. Yes. He loves that. And if we can live in that space of not thinking that maybe one or God moves that, with, that way with other people, live in the space that he's going to lead you. The God that we're following is going to lead us into the impossible. Yeah. He's going to speak into what you think you're weakest in, and he's going to call you and say, but I say about you this. Will you follow me in that? In Judges chapter 6, this amazing story of Gideon, now the angel of the Lord, verse 11, came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon saw himself as the lowest of the lowest, and the Lord appears to him through an angel and calls him a mighty man of valor. He loves doing this. He loves, by the way, in a religious society, taking stinky fishermen and saying, I want you to lead these people into their inheritance. He loves to take tax collectors who are rejected because of their moral failings and say, I want you to become the moral standard of this religious society and to show people the truth in the way. He loves it. He prefers to work in your weakness. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? None of you have ever responded to God like that, right? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Ever, any, ever wondered or felt that way, that the Lord actually has forsaken you? He's, he loves these other people, but he's probably forsaken me. Lie. <laughs> and then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, it sounds like Moses when he was called. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, my clan's the weakest and my family's the weakest in the weakest clan and I'm the least in the weakest family of the weakest tribe. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. My friends, everything that we just described is like this. It is... What we're, it's, it's like if you've ever gone to a place where you swim, maybe a swimming pool or a river or a lake, and somebody gets in, they turn around, they look at the other people that they're with, and they say, get in, the water's great. 
and there is a river, and that river flows from the throne of heaven. It is the Spirit of God where we lose our control, and he has his control. It's a river of joy, and the current of that river is the source of how we fulfill what we're called to do. It is not just faithfulness. It's not just grit. Detroit's gritty. I get it, and I love it, but that ain't going to save the world. It is the river of God. And what, what, what the scriptures are saying to us is get in this river, not ankle deep, not knee deep, not waist deep. Go ahead and get in the river. It is good. 